let's move to、uh, about China. You know, as I mentioned, it's、mm. a topic we cannot avoid.、Uh, the climate change is global challenge, and、mm -hmm. uh, the seriousness of the climate changes、uh, happened in the past three to four decades,、mm -hmm. and that period time is also the time when China rise as a big power in the economic、mm -hmm. level. And China joined the world economy in late 1970s. Although has some bump in 1989, but the leadership of the China government uh, uh, reassured that、um, there's no future for China to go back to the isolation, and、mm -hmm. they, they even open wider、uh, its economy to the world and become the member of the WTO and become、mm -hmm. the biggest trader of the U.S. and the European Union. So from that rapid economic booming,、uh, uh, we also see the globalization, right? In 1990 to 2019, before the pandemic. So the the world is now in a very different stage, and、uh, the pandemic is only one of the factors influencing the the, the future of the world. The deglobalization become a more streaming,、uh, from my observation. In,、mm -hmm. So. Uh, China even faced some big problem before it's become a really rich country. It's on、mm -hmm. average a per capita is not rich as、uh, neighbors like、uh, Korea and Japan, but the、mm -hmm. country has faced a big problem like a shrinking population. Even by 2022, the country faced the first time in the last half a century the ne、uh, negative growth of the population. So if we take those Happening、uh, factor into account. Do you think we we have a better scenario to control the world temperature rise on average by twenty hundred below one point five degrees Celsius? I don't think that things like population decline are going to happen in a relevant time frame to really affect. I mean, I you know I I, I think the decisions about whether we're going to go past one point five degrees or not depend on what we do in the next two or three years, not. A decade or two out, so I think we're going to be working with pretty much the、uh, political situation we're in at the moment. You know, one of the things that marks that situation is this rapid fall in the price of renewable energy,、uh, some of which is definitely attributable to China and its manufacturing prowess. And we'll see if we can move quickly or not. China is going to have a very hard time、um, dealing with the world because it has, it lacks good feedback mechanisms, and I think you're seeing that right now. I have, I, if I cannot explain, I can't come up with a logical reason why China would like to be、uh, in bed with Mr. Putin in Russia. He's a loser. And he's a fossil fuel baron,、uh, and you know this is a perfect exa example of someone of a kind of thing that it would be in everybody's interest to be moving past. You know, it's one of the few foreign policy things that the U.S. has gotten right <laughs> in recent years. You know, standing up for Ukraine and and、uh, trying to、uh, weaken Putin. Um, so those things make me worry a lot that China、um, hasn't got a、uh, any way to kind of reflect on you know what it's doing and make 
course corrections. I'm not sure the U.S. has much of that anymore. I mean, we were very lucky that we elected Joe Biden, and it wasn't by much. And our politics is still, uh, this may just turn out to be a four-year hiatus in a general slide towards uh, our own um, illiberal uh, and unhappy future. But uh, we're fighting back as best we can. So we'll see, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, I, m my guess is that the crucial decisions about how high the temperature is going to get are being made in the next few years. And that's why it's so important to, I mean, it's so important to hope that China will come back into serious discussions with the rest of the world about this and that, um, and that we'll be able to rein in the American banks and the Chinese banks that are now the biggest lenders to the fossil fuel industry and uh, on and on and on. We've got a whole series of joint tasks. And those of us in sort of civil society in the rest of the world or in the Western world are doing our best to push our governments, to push our financial system and things. And it's very, you know, it's hard that there is no effective civil society in China. Uh, you know, we don't have partners in the global environmental movement there really to do the kind of work we do elsewhere. And that's why I worry about India. They've basically made it very difficult for uh, uh, civil society to stand up to, you know, government in any way. You know, uh, the, the Greta Thunberg of India was uh, put in prison and then prevented from traveling abroad to the Glasgow Climate Conference and so on and so forth. Very hard to imagine a working future in a world of autocrats, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, as environmental activists, um, uh, we all uh, many think it's important to uh, pursue uh, international collaboration. Uh, without yes. China and India, particularly China's involvement and engagement, it's hard to think uh, how to address this biggest challenge for human. Uh, I think that's absolutely right, and I hope that at the very least, you know, China and the U.S. can get back to some uh, minimal cooperation on climate stuff. I, you know, for a while there, John Kerry and his Chinese counterparts um, were at least making some progress on international stuff. All that's broken down now as Ukraine and Taiwan and all these other issues come to the fore. Um, we are going to need to be able to cooperate. There is no doubt. Climate change is the ultimate reminder that we all have to share this one planet. And that's proving to be very difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something I want to push you a little bit further because, uh, you know, this is a typical common good uh, challenge for human mm. uh, humanity. And uh, we cannot automatically assume uh, the big emitters will partner make partnership effectively uh, as soon as possible, as productive as possible. There's another scenario, uh, if I may, I want to get your idea. Without China's engagement, uh, when China is facing its own domestic economic challenges and other issues, what about uh, European Union and the US as a traditional uh, allies? 
and to take the leadership and uh, uh, bring all other major economies, uh, of course, not maybe not Russia, uh, into uh, international collaboration. Yes. And, and, and really produce a scenario which in which China is not a big deal. Even without China's uh, involving, we still can do something in the future. Well, is, is that I, mean, I think that there's I think that there's two two scenarios here that are possible. One and probably the more likely is a kind of um, useful competition between China and the U.S. and other. I mean, if you if you're smart, and the Chinese government in many ways is very smart. Uh, you know, you look at the future and you understand that it, whoever is the best at renewable energy is going to own the future in lots of ways. Whoever is good at batteries and and that's why China's invested so much money in industrial policy in building up those industries and the U.S. is playing catch up now. But, you know, the U.S. has its own advantages and um, and will probably so that competition which I hope it, it may not be as good as cooperation, but it may be as good as we're going to get. The EU and the US, I think, are cooperating in certain ways. Uh, one of the upshots of the war in Ukraine has been that Europe wants to get off fossil fuel faster than it did before. In certain ways, the US is helping it. But of course, US politics is so um, affected by the fossil fuel industry, that they're also trying to make hay out of the Ukraine crisis and increase exports and so on and so forth. Um, the problem with trying to organize the rest of the world is just that um, more and more and more the rest of the world, too much of the rest of the world is uh, uh, very hard to organize because it's run by dictators. You know, I was looking around at the last climate conference in Egypt and remembering back to Paris, uh, you know, which was not that long ago, seven years ago, something like that, I guess, eight years ago now. And, you know, in those days, Donald Trump hadn't emerged in the U.S. yet. Uh, Bolsonaro hadn't emerged in Brazil uh, uh, China was far, far more open to the world. Modi hadn't started becoming the kind of autocrat that he's tried to become. Erdogan in Turkey, Putin in Russia, neither were as uh, uh, controlling and, and closed off as they are now. It's become a hard world to try and organize. It's one of the reasons, Zhao, why we're working so hard on um, trying to get the big banks to change their policies because they really do continue to have global power. If Citibank and Chase Bank and things make some decisions, say we won't fund new fossil fuel expansion, that they still have global power in a way that Washington or Beijing or places don't really have the same kind of global power anymore. Um, Wall Street and the city of London and Hong Kong, a few other places where money is concentrated, continue to have huge global power, uh, Shanghai. So we will see how all this plays out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is more like uh, bottom up. I mean, the corporate level, the banking <laughs> companies, they may uh, make some collective smart actions to 
support the uh, the climate actions. And I we also see uh, yeah. if they don't. I mean, <laughs> the irony is that if they don't, they're uh, no one's going to make much money on a wrecked world. You know. Yeah, you're um, right. In the long term, yeah. particularly, and also the yeah. the competition between the two rebels. I think yes. uh, that the U.S. Um, aligned with Euro European unions are making a very strong case that we are doing on our own terms. And uh, if you want to join, like the uh, yeah. William Nordhaus, the Yale professor, um, gave the name Climate Club. If you want mm -hmm. to join, you have some benefits. If you don't join, you have um, not. You don't. You cannot enjoy the 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 mm -hmm. the, the, the trading benefits with us. And mm -hmm. uh, this is a, a turning point, uh, some crossroad you have to choose. Mm -hmm. Final question uh, by this uh, episode, I think um, we, we, I want to uh, invite you to give some summary. I mean, because you have been traveling to China mm -hmm. for many times. And uh, uh, how has that journey um, exploring China uh, widely different aspects well, of China love, changing, changing your understanding of this country? I love China and the people of China enormously. And you're right, I've gotten to spend a lot of time in different parts of it um, and in parts that it claims. You know, I got to spend a lot of time in Tibet um, as well eventually. I, one can only sort of... Uh, look on in awe at certain in certain ways at the speed and power with which China has developed. I hope now that it's a point where it can take a step back and really try to analyze what parts of that development have worked and what haven't and what to do going forward, because it doesn't seem like the old model, uh, you know, is going to work that much longer into the future, you know, cheap labor to make stuff for the rest of the world and so on and so forth. I do think in the largest sense that climate change is the ultimate test for all countries and all institutions. You know, both the US and China have been fixated on economic growth above all for most of our lifetimes. And where it's been with huge drawbacks and problems now too, so somebody better uh, rise to that occasion and think a little more clearly about what kind of world we want to build. Uh, uh, and we don't have much time to make these decisions. Uh, if we don't act very quickly, then the world we live in is going to be a much much more difficult place, and things will start to become a vicious cycle where you know, you, you get, you have less flexibility because your economy is being impacted by natural disaster and so on and so forth. So I hope that, that events <laughs> uh, break in good ways uh, over the next few years. We're going to need a lot of luck and a lot of people pushing hard for change to have some hope of getting through this next period, I think. Um, it's going to be a hard period. Yeah. And, and, Chinese, and above it, all, we need, at least in my part of the world, we need that human solidarity instead of that hyper-individualism. Yeah, um, yeah. 
So in Chinese saying, we say, please hope the best, but prepare the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice, you know. I'm afraid, for the moment. <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you again for your uh, time and really uh, inspired, inspiring to have oh, this Oh, I've talk. enjoyed it so much. And what a pleasure to get to connect again. Yeah. And thank you for your work very, very much. Um, thank you. It's important. Yeah. According to our routine of this podcast, we always invite our guest speaker to uh, um, introduce a book, a nonfiction book that uh, just uh, finished in recent. And what are you uh, main takeaway from reading that book? It's good opportunity, not only for me, but for our audience to learn more from our guest speaker. Well, the, you know, so many uh, uh, good books all the time. Uh, I love the work. There's a wonderful American uh, essayist, a woman named Rebecca Solnit, and her most recent book was about one of my heroes, George Orwell, the British journalist and novelist, uh, 1984, and books like that. And and but her book is about his love of the natural world. It's called Orwell's Roses. And so it's a very powerful way to think about one of the most interesting people of the 20th century and one who had a lot of lessons for the world we live in now. So I think that's the book I'd recommend right now, Rebecca Solnit, S-O-L-N-I-T. Thank you so much. It's uh, good to uh, check it out. And uh, I think the um, I still keep what one if you, book. Let me ask you, what have you been reading recently that's really good? <laughs> Yeah, it's a good question. I'm reading a, a book about the modern uh, history of China. It's mm -hmm. Oxford um, uh, handbook uh, written mm -hmm. by a bunch of the uh, Chinese history researchers. Uh, it started to introduce Chinese modern history from the beginning of, I think, the beginning of the late Ming dynasty. It's, uh, mm -hmm. I think in 15th, uh, 14th century. Uh, it's helped us, uh, at, at least for me, to understand uh, how Chinese history evolves from uh, Ming Dynasty to Qing Dynasty until uh, the in, in domestic war, the civil war between uh, Kuomintang and the uh, Communist Party, uh, Chinese Communist Party. As I haven't finished this book, but it's a really great book. Uh, well, I'm gonna. I'll have to read that too because you know, um, my great grandfather was born in China. Uh, really? To, wow. uh, to missionary, his parents were missionaries in Swatow, China. And um, I don't know what it's called now or how you'd pronounce it, but that was the town. And uh, in which so province? That, I'm not certain. Okay. I think okay. somewhere near Shanghai, but I'm not uh, certain. Okay. Um, that, you know, Chinese history has been had so many remarkable shifts and transformations and reversals and I have a feeling we're in one of those periods right now. And I think our history is going to be very turbulent and interesting. So I'm glad you're grounding yourself in that. And I'll go back and read it too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because all the writers are uh, English-speaking people and the researchers. And uh, I only learn a lot of Chinese history from mostly from Chinese uh, writers yeah. by a really different perspective and or even some basic facts differences so it's it's really open eyed um, and you are the second person i know 
uh, who has who who is the descendant of the missionary uh, mm-hmm. from West. Because the first mm-hmm. one I knew a British guy, a uh, gentleman uh, whose great grandfather uh, went to Shanxi, my home mm-hmm. province, to mm-hmm. uh, be a missionary. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you are you are the second from from the <laughs> other part of the Atlantic. What a coincidence! Yep. It's really yep. a remarkable uh, the connection. <laughs> And uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing this personal story and uh, really uh, great. And, I hope uh, we get to see each other soon, friend. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I definitely want to go back to travel to U.S. and uh, welcome. Terrific. Well, when you come, <laughs> we'll look forward to seeing you. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Right. Uh, it's great right. uh, to good have night. you. Yeah. <laughs> good night. Take care. I'm going off to bed. <laughs> Take care, friend. Take care. Yeah. yeah. Bye.